Hello and welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. I'm Scott Miller and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. Today's guest is the renowned sales authority, Randy Illig, who serves as Franklin Covey's practice leader for our sales performance practice. He also is the co-author of the renowned best-selling book, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. And he's also one of Forbes' weekly columnists on their digital site, Forbes.com. Randy, welcome to On Leadership. Thanks, Scott. Great to have you here. My pleasure. It's a long setup. Pretty awesome that you've written a co-author or co-authored a best-selling book. You have this nearly 40 years, nearly 40 years sales performance history, both as a producer and as yes. a sales leader and coach. The last decade plus, you've really served as an advisor to the C-suite, to sales leaders around what to do differently, right? Mm -hmm. how, how, to, how to create sustainable sales performance, which is our theme today. Before we talk about that, would you take a couple of minutes and walk through your journey? Sure. Give some context to all of our listeners around how you got to the credible role that you're in today. I'd be happy to. And I'd divide it into two parts. Uh, the first part, uh, began with me uh, being a salesperson, carrying a bag, having a territory, being responsible for a quota. Uh, that led to uh, a promotion into a sales management role, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then right before my first uh, child was born, I convinced my wife that I should quit my job. She was eight months pregnant, by the way. I should quit my job, start my own company, uh, because if I didn't do it, then I would never do it. And I, that's what I did. So wow. I, eight months pregnant, I quit my job, and I started an IT services company. And, do you thank uh, her for that, that confidence even today? Yes, You're, because yes. the company did quite well. Okay, good. Uh, and I led that company for about 12 years, um, grew it to uh, nearly 1,000 employees, and then we sold it. Um, and I had the most fortunate thing happen to me during those 12 years. I met my friend Mahan Khalsa, who invited me to co-author this right. book. And, who was considered um, to be one of the world's foremost authorities on transforming sales organizations. Absolutely. Right. I met him because he was my client, or I was, I was his client. Mm. And he helped me transform our organization from where it was to where it ended up. We ended up uh, involving 270 people in that, in that transformation. Um, and I learned a ton from him. So, as I had a chance to really make a different choice in my life and figure out what I wanted to do, I spent a few months thinking that through and I kept going back to, I'd, I really want to give back to the sales profession. Mm -hmm. And I called Mahan, he had sold his company to Franklin Covey. Right. And, and I we found said, him so valuable, yeah, we bought his yeah, company. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> so I called him and I said, look, of all the things I've done in, in my career to date, the thing that was most rewarding was the work I did with you. Wow. And so I'd love to you know, start working with you and, and working with other sales professionals and sales leaders and business executives on uh, how to really build uh, sales cultures and sales organizations, and here's the key word, that consistently can hit their number. Right. So, and that's your focus now, is yeah. you're, you're taking all this nearly four decades of expertise and teaching organizations, how do you build an evergreen culture, discipline, yeah. behaviors, paradigm shifts, really, on not just make, making next quarter's number or next year's number, but institutionalizing, enculturating exactly. principles and organizations. Why is that such a challenge for companies? Well, it's interesting. After all this time, I boiled it down to one word, uncertainty. Okay. And here's what, it, here's what I mean by that. So sales leaders 
are expected to achieve, uh, achieve their growth goal regardless of what's happening. It doesn't matter about uncertainty in the economy, right. in labor markets, in politics, turnover, uh, turnover in the quality of your product or service, doesn't matter. You still have to hit your number. And so think about that task, by the way. Here you are, a business executive. You've got one year to get something done. And you have to do it every year over and over. And it has to grow every year over and over. And there's all this uncertainty. So, so that's what makes it so doggone difficult, that there's so many uncertain elements. And how do clients, when you enter into a client or you, you have a pre-consult with them, What's the typical approach for a client to try to build this sustainable capacity? Well, most of the, most of the engagements we do are companies that are in some, in some kind of transition. Okay. So they either hired a new chief sales officer or whatever they have that title, uh, or they're making a major transition with their company, new product, new geography, some great big growth initiative. And there's two typical responses to that. One is to say, let's focus all of our energy on the number, right? So their energy goes into all kinds of activities around getting to the number, making sure quotas are assigned, making sure territories are assigned, making sure we have enough people, making sure that our meetings and our, um, our communication is about where we are in our number, tracking forecasts all of those things. So they, they focus all of their Seems energy. Seems reasonable. It does seem reasonable. <coughs> and there's some downside to that, by the way. Bad things can happen, like um, people don't feel engaged, mm -hmm. so they leave. Um, it's you just actually, about data and measures and scoreboards. And, it's, right. Yeah, it's just not, it's not <coughs> you, you feel like uh, a machine. And, uh, and it's pretty predictable, by the way. The more you focus on your number, the less likely you are to hit it. Mm. So the, the very behavior um, of that focus is, is, uh, is, is flawed. The second common thing, and I think this is more common when you have a new team, is they say, well, wait a minute. Let's suspend the numbers, the performance. Let's not worry about that now. Let's work on building the capability we need in order to produce future performance. And what is that? They might invest in marketing and lead generation. They might invest in tools like CRM or, um, or uh, research tools or LinkedIn or whatever it is. They may invest in skills and business processes and training and all of those kinds of things. Um, and of course, while they're doing that, the people that hired them, CEO or the board, are getting incredibly impatient sure. with the lack of delivery right. on numbers. Right. And you know how long yeah. that patience lasts? Yeah, quarter. Not very long. Right. And, so, uh, and so those two common approaches, uh, while have been done over and over, just, just don't cut it. You find that most companies fall in one of those two camps or they in do. both? Yeah. They typically do. What's your insight? What do you recommend? Well, drum roll. <laughs> This is so simple. You got to do both at the same time. Now, hmm. I say that it is a very simple idea. It's very hard to do. Easy to and interview and talk it, about, but implement it, it is, yeah. right? Because um, there's so many things that compete with that idea of having your cake and eating it too, or, or being a business leader who's faced with, I don't have all the capability I need uh, to hit the number. 
and I need to hit the number anyway. So somehow my plan, my activities need to yield. I build muscle for the future and I get results now. And so you got to do both. So as the leader of our sales performance practice, you collaborate with your peers in our organization across our execution practice and yes. our leadership practice and our trust practice. Uh, you have congealed kind of a new offering, a new point of view for helping clients create sustainable sales performance. Talk a bit about how clients are beginning to work with this, if you will. So uh, the idea is that uh, you engage a system okay. that uh, produces both the business result and the, uh, the new capabilities for right. future right. positive right. business results. Uh, you install that system that you use uh, over and over that leverages these various parts of, of our organization and content that, uh, that you talked about. And that, that system brings those two things together that I talked about earlier mm -hmm. uh, in order for you to hit your target consistently and predictably. This is really the culmination of your nearly 40 years of seeing lots of failures, lots of successes, lots of, yeah. yeah. You have kind of six elements to this new system. We do. The first one, I won't, we, we can't touch on all of them today, but right. let's talk about three or four of them. The first one you call focus. Yeah. Seems obvious. Talk a bit about why that's so valuable. Uh, well, I think the reason we start with focus uh, is, is probably obvious, but let's pull the lens back for a moment. If you ask a sales leader, now I'm talking about the senior most person of sales, chief sales officer. Right. Um, if you ask that person, what is your focus for the year? The likely answer, nine times out of 10, is they tell you their total target. Right. So let's say it's $100 million right. just for fun. Right. They say, well, my focus is to hit $100 million. Now, one of the things that our colleague Chris McChesney taught us about is this idea of the whirlwind, right? Our day job. Mm -hmm. And see, in a sales organization, the whirlwind is such a wonderful thing because it produces in most B2B sales organizations the bulk right. of their revenue target. Right. Right. So it's not $100 million that they actually need to get. They need to get the difference between what the whirlwind produces and $100 million. What's going to come in if we just do X, anyway. Y, and Z, run right. the play? That's right. Now, it's a stretch to say it'll come in anyway. There's a lot of hard work that goes sure. into right. making That's the fair. business run every day right. and, and happen. So, so the first thing that we do is we help the organization to figure out what is the gap. So what's the difference between what the whirlwind will produce and what their target is? That's the easy part. Hmm. The hard part is how do you close the gap? And the reason that it's hard is because the gap can only be closed with what we refer to as lead measures or new behaviors. So what is it that salespeople, that the organization would need to do differently every day to produce that gap? And let's just, again, for this conversation, say the whirlwind produced 90 million, the gap's 10. Okay. So what are those behaviors we'll do every day uh, every week, every month, that we're confident that at the end of the year, that $10 million gap would be met. And by the way, what if we were off course? How would we know? And how would we correct mm -hmm. that? So uh, Chris has really helped us frame our thinking around how we think about focus for the sales organization. But that's really the, the first and most important element. And by the way, that goes from the frontline salesperson the whole way to the mm -hmm. you know, highest level leader right. in the company, each one of those people 
need to understand in the context of what they lead, whether they lead themselves, whether they lead a team, uh, what their whirlwind can produce, what their gap is, and what behaviors need to be changed in order to fill that gap. Keep going, there's more elements. You have one I love this name, you call it Flashpoint. Yeah. Tell us about that. The Flashpoint has been an interesting learning for me. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many skills that we have as professionals, regardless of what we do. But again, I'm involved in sales, so I relate it to sales. And say, well, what do salespeople need to be skilled at? And we could make a long list. There'd be all these kinds of things. Here's what I've learned over the last 10 or 15 years. There is one skill that if you really do well, you can make a huge difference. And that skill... Be is, nice to your spouse. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that one skill is the ability to create high-value interactions between the seller, the salesperson, and the buyer, the person that represents the buyer. Because here's what happens. If you look at the seller side of this model, a company has all kinds of things they invest in, product innovation, research, uh, manufacturing, service, uh, technical people, their brand, all those things come down to the interaction between a salesperson and the buyer. Mm -hmm. And I call that the flashpoint. Mm -hmm. Because either that flashpoint, either that interaction is something that the buyer says, man, this was helpful. That was fantastic. Right. Right. It was helpful. It was valuable. It was collaborative. I feel like you, you helped us move forward. It's competitively distinct. It stands out. If you can do that, you can move the needle in a very, very mm -hmm. big way. And by the way, there are many examples of this. People will be happy to pay a premium for something when they feel like it is well tuned to them. It fits, uh, fits them well. The buying experience has been positive. And so if you can master that flashpoint uh, and, and build the capabilities within a team to really execute those meetings well, that trumps almost every other skill that, it, that you'd need to have as a salesperson. You've just put massive fear in every sales leader because right now they're all thinking he's absolutely right. The, the f disproportionate focus is in that engagement and they've got to spend some time investing in that and making sure that that works well. Yeah. Uh, your th another element is this concept that you have a lot of passion about, which is how do sales teams and sales leaders yeah. work together to improve? Expand on that. So it's, it's interesting that if you took music or sports or a million other things and you said, how do you get better? What would the answer be? Practice. You practice. It's a no-brainer. But when you go to a, a professional setting and you say to salespeople, how do you get better? They just stare at you. you know, they may come up with the word practice, but they actually don't do that. So while that may be the common sense answer, oh, you practice. It's not the common practice answer, right? It's not, it's not common that it's actually done. Now, one of the reasons that I think that happens is because we've created sales forces that are dependent. So they're waiting for someone yeah, else right. to, to do that. Uh, I, need, I need training. I need coaching. Where are you, boss? Um, and what, what we've learned, I think, and this has been a big learning for us, is that 
in order to build the kind of sales culture that produces uh, results consistently year after year, you, it, it's the team. It's not a group of leaders that do that. And so the ability to set time aside every week where the team practices together, where there isn't a leader, hmm. you know, the manager is just one of the participants. Just peer-to-peer role-playing, practicing, you develop, coaching. You yeah. develop this um, ongoing, continuous improvement, learning environment, uh, and, and share and grow, it makes a huge difference. And it's a big part of what we've learned of uh, how, to, how to really create this sustainable uh, culture. Randy, uh, build on that and talk about your passion around transparency. It's one of the yeah. elements you have. How is transparency so important in helping organizations build sustainable, repeatable, evergreen sales performance? So it's interesting. We just said, uh, we said two things. One is there need to be some new behaviors, right, in order to close the gap. The second thing we said was you'd need to be improving your skills. Well, Scott, how would anyone know? Well, how would you really know if that was happening? Wait till the end of the year and kind of figure out did we make it or not? Mm -hmm. There needs to be some way of knowing that every week, and that's what transparency is about. Now, often when salespeople hear transparency, what they hear is inspection, hmm. and that's not right. what we mean at all. I see. Uh, what we're talking about is holistic transparency, where we as a team agree that we're going to work on some new behaviors. And uh, we're going to develop skills that bring those behaviors to life so we can make our goal together. And that will require us to do new things every week, make uh, commitments about what we're going to do and hold one another accountable for those, but not in an inspection way, not in a way that we're checking boxes, more in the way, let me go back to sports or musicians or actors, more in a way that a cast works Mm -hmm. um, a team works. Mm -hmm. They work to create an extraordinary result. Uh, and in this case that, that we're talking about, there's really two extraordinary results they need to create. One is they need to close that gap every year, every time. And the second one is they need to create a distinctive buying experience for customers that they enjoy, they find helpful, and they want to do again and again with that company. That doesn't happen accidentally. Not I mean, that's a all. deliberate, thoughtful, intentional process to yeah. create that kind of experience. It is. And, the, and the, um, the transparency into that can be done many ways. We do it with an app uh, where it's easy for people to kind of track what they're doing. And, and by the way, we're talking about micro-movements here. We're not talking about, oh, I need to create Massive transformation. Uh, all kinds of transformation, a new time. I need you know, all these new meetings and calls. No, you just need a little bit of energy focused in the right way with some good transparency so we can all learn from one another and be accountable, yeah, yeah. and it works. Randy, in our last couple of minutes here, walk us through how does a prospective sales organization begin to adopt this quite insightful process you and your colleagues yeah. have created here? What's a, what's a typical engagement look like? How does somebody get started? Well, like many important things, um, there are two elements. It involves everyone and it starts at the top. <laughs> and uh, when I say everyone, I mean everyone that's customer facing right. in, the, in the sales organization. Um, and this can't be for them. Uh, we always start with the leaders and, and I push our customers to involve uh, anyone in their leadership team that is customer facing 
and I always ask them, does your CEO call on customers? Well, of course, then they need to be involved. Well, they don't have time, then don't spend a penny. Because if they don't have time to make the sales organization of which they're part of, you just said they call on customers, um, a priority and, and make them and contribute to a culture of consistently high, consistent high performance. Save your money. Yeah, don't bother. Yeah. So start at the top, involve the entire leadership team um, and the entire sales team. So what are the steps? Uh, the first thing I really think about is alignment. It's getting that focus we talked about. Mm -hmm. what are, what's our gap? What are we going to focus on? What are our new behaviors? It's then getting dialed in around the skills that it, it takes, um, the new skills and behaviors to drive those behaviors. And again, this is for everybody. It's not for some people. So we all work on this together. Uh, uh, executives and, and frontline salespeople uh, alike. And then comes the hard work of tactical execution. You know, turning the wheel every week, every week, every week. Uh, and uh, we typically work with our clients in a, in a um, you know, coaching and advisory role to keep them on that path, mm -hmm. to keep them focused, mm -hmm. to keep them moving. And some amazing things are happening. I mean, our, our, um, our first client that we use this, uh, to apply this process with, uh, had a target, a new business target gap of uh, $154 million. And uh, the, at the end of the year, they attributed $54 million uh, of progress wow. against that to the work we did wow. with them. So it, it's and impactful to the system, to the system we yeah, put in place. Yeah. It's impactful, uh, it's repeatable, uh, and you should expect results in the year you make the investment. Yeah. Randy, we're graced with the presence of a lot of best-selling authors and celebrities in this set. It's been a great ride. But it's not every day we get a columnist in here, which I think <laughs> is just downright cool. I mean, you are a Forbes.com columnist. Talk about that. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of a cool thing to do. And what's your process, and what do you write about? Well, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I've had a paper. I'd have you sign it, or I've had I, an article. I'd have you sign it for me. Forget the book. I'm honored to be included in, uh, in Forbes, and it was yeah. a little bit... It's a little daunting at the same time, right? Because every column, week right? yeah, I, I have to come up with something. Yeah. You know, so. But 35 years, you probably got a few, um, few lessons learned under your belt. So I think that you know, the process for me is I am constantly on the hunt for you know, another, another angle to write yeah. about. Yeah. And uh, you know, I see myself really as a student mm -hmm. uh, more than anything else. So I'm, I'm always... Uh, uh, trying to learn from other people yeah. and have other people help uh, with uh, forming ideas and and uh, they're out there you just have to go look for them but I think uh, that that process of just staying on top of you know the awareness of I have a column due next week right. yeah. um, and then making sure you have a pipeline so you're right. kind of ahead of it sounds like selling being uh, an author is different than being a journalist right because yeah, you're doing both yeah. now and I love your columns there I can guarantee when they come out I'm going to have my paradigm changed so I think one of the things you do well is you really have insight into what is the sales leader from yeah. a pharmaceutical multinational down to a print shop, right? Or whatever yeah. it is, you have good, in, you have great instincts on what are they facing? What are their struggles? 
and I, I kind of see you as the Jap Johnny Appleseed of sales. You're just you're constantly kind of one step, maybe not two, but one step out yeah. in front of everybody. That's what Thank makes you. your column, I think, so relevant. So thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. It won't take more time because you have a column to write, right? So Randy, <laughs> thanks for coming to On Leadership. Thanks, we'll have you back sometime. Got it. Hey, thanks for joining us. If you aren't subscribing to the On Leadership series, do so by visiting franklincovey.com. It's a weekly complimentary newsletter. comes out on Tuesdays. And as always, make sure that you read Randy's book, Let's Get Real, Let's Not Play, and follow him on Forbes.com to receive his weekly column. And we'll see you back here next week with our next guest. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.